Well, uh, we're about to, today's the last day in our series, uh, Ordinary Radicals, as we've been talking about how the Holy Spirit can make us radically different in the world and in our, in our relationships and our lives. And uh, t- today will be the last in, in that series, but next week we're kicking off a brand new series, and it's a, it's a little different, and I want to tell you about it. I think it's a great opportunity for us as a church. Uh, it's called At the Movies, our culture and our, all of us, let's just be honest, we love movies. Uh, a lot of you go to movies or have them on DVD. You have your favorites. You can name your top. Well, you can't even narrow it down to the top three. But uh, we certainly know that movies speak. And uh, think back in, the, in, the, in God's Word where Jesus and people like Paul used the prophets and the poets and the philosophers of the day to speak uh, in a language of everyday language to people so they could relate the truth to God, God's Word. And that's kind of what we want to do in this series. So for the month of July, we're going to be taking a movie each week, and we'll be using some clips, and we'll be kind of pointing out some God's truth through the Bible and how God can speak to us through that. So each week is a different movie, and actually we're having a family movie Sunday where we'll show a couple of clips from the movie Big Hero 6. And so on that Sunday, I think it's July, then June, July the 19th, uh, that'll be happening. And uh, so this is a great chance for us to invite people to church. Maybe you know some people that are like, man, I'm just kind of, just kind of churches just kind of, uh, just turns me off. This is a great chance. This is a, an easy invite, as I like to say. Uh, hey, you like movies? Come check out my church this Sunday. So. There it is. It's happening in, in every week of July, and uh, tell your, your friends and family about that. I will tell you this first, next week we're going to go with kind of an action movie, Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, kind of action, funny guys, Marvel, comics, that kind of fun stuff. So that's the first week, and uh, if you haven't seen the movie, that's okay. Come anyway. You can you can be a part of what's happening. I mentioned earlier my wife, uh, to, this, uh, to celebrate my mom's 60th birthday, she likes to do big things for her big birthday, she took my sisters and my wife, and they went to New York City uh, for four or five days. Yes, four or five days, it's like basically five days. She ran into this guy right here uh, last night and sent me this picture, uh, Costanza. There in New York, so uh, I'm super excited for her and glad that she's getting this experience uh, to just see the Big Apple, and maybe you've been there before and, and have uh, got pictures to prove it, but you certainly need to be praying for me and my kids. Uh, let's just be honest. Uh, we need it. Uh, they need it, okay? A couple of weeks ago, my daughter, Briley, she loves puddles, jumping in puddles, okay? And she decided, you know what? It would be great if we had a puddle in the house. So I'm cooking dinner. Melanie's stepped out for something. I'm cooking dinner and being a a good husband, a good dad, and I'm downstairs, and she's in the playroom, and she takes this giant, just, you know, the the, the pitchers of of water, lemonade, whatever, and is just dumping it on the floor until it's a standing water on our carpet, and she's splashing around, and we have the conversation to talk. Don't do this. This is why we don't do this. The next day, she did it again. <laughs> Why did you do? I love puddles, Daddy. <laughs> Pray for us. Pray for us. We need it. Survival. Aunt Carrie is helping us, but we're, we're trying to survive. All right, so do something real quick. I want you to put your hands together. Put your hands together like this. 
All right, got it? All right, now I kind of can do it like that. Everybody participating, not hard. Which thumb is on top? Is it your left thumb or your right thumb? All right, look at your neighbor, compare. Yeah? So, all right. Now, how many have your left thumb on top? How many have your right thumb on top? All right. Now, I want you to switch it. Switch it up. Ooh, that feels weird. This is why when you're holding hands as a, as a couple or something and you go, wait a second, my thumb's supposed to go. That's not the way it's supposed to go. And so you get all... Now, psychologists would tell us there's a reason. There's either if you, like, left thumb on top, I think maybe right brain and, and vice versa. And all, maybe that's true to a certain degree on, on, on that. Uh, who knows? But it just feels weird when you do it. The, it's just a, there's a natural way you put your, just like fold your arms, there's a natural way to fold your arms. Okay? Now, when you switch arm, you don't even know, I don't even know how to do that. That just feels so weird. When you switch directions, that feels weird. Doesn't that feel weird if you switch the... All right, one more for you. I want you, with your finger, it doesn't, left or, there's no test, left or right, it doesn't matter. I want you to make the letter Q on your forehead. Not the letter L, like a lot of you are used to, but uh, that's a joke. Uh, L on your forehead, smash mouth. Uh, Q. Q, make a Q, okay? Are you there? All right. Now, the little line, the straight line... Which side did you put it on? Did you put it on the, the, line, the side? Uh, uppercase Q, uppercase Q. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Our, will our kids even know how to write uh, in 10 years? Are they just, all right. All right, now did you put the line in a place where the people that are looking at you will see the Q and the, right, the line in the bright spots? Or is it where you feel like it's right on your head? Hmm. Now, psychologists would tell us that if you put it so that other people will clearly will see the cue and in the right place, that means you think about others more. And if you, you <laughs> yeah, that was a test. And if you put it so that you, you know, it's natural for you to see the, that you are all about you, my friend. <laughs> so that's the sermon. Let's go home. Uh, but there are some things that we just, you just didn't even think you just did it, didn't you? Or there, you just didn't even think that you, you did it. There are certain things and kind of habits and things that kind of, almost not kind of ruts that we get into. Um, there is this ride at the carnival or the fair, as you call it here. Uh, it's, it's one that, you know, was, I think it was my first ride at the fair. Do you remember your first ride? My first ride, and I don't trust those rides, to be honest with you. I think they're scary. Some of them, I'm really worried about the speed in which they put them up. Uh, so I usually stick to those games like the basketball games and where you're shooting things and you're paying ridiculous amounts of money to win like a $2 basketball, and then you have to dribble it around the whole time. But hey, I won a $2 basketball. Look at me, guys. I used to play college recreation ball. Uh... But the first ride that I remember that I, I, I rode on as a kid was the, the Gravitron. Does anybody know this? The Gravitron. It looks something like that. Now, I think in other places they call it like the Starship 2000 or the 3000 or whatever. And essentially, if you've never been on this ride before, you get inside, it goes super fast, and you're just like, 
You get like sucked into the wall, okay? You, you, and you're like trying to get your arm off and you can't because the gravity is just pulling you around. I talked to someone this morning that they were on that ride once and they actually, someone threw up. Uh, so just picture that going around. <laughs> get me off of this! The fear! It's not the devil! Um, so let's, let's put these two thoughts together. There are some things, not the throw up, let's eliminate the throw up. There are some things that we do that I almost, some things that I do, I've been thinking about this week, that I just do them naturally. I feel like almost I get, I get sucked into doing them. I just get pulled certain directions. I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm not even thinking about it, so I'm just, I'm just pulled in certain places. And some of this has almost become second nature. There's a guy I, I uh, listen to and, and like a lot. His name's Scott Daniels. I mentioned him before. He's just a great uh, Christian thinker. He talks about some of the myths and some of the things that our culture is trying to, to pull us into. We're constantly being pulled in some of these, these cultural myths. And I want to talk about them really quick with you. Uh, you won't be shocked by any of these. You, you'll recognize these. The myth, first of all, is the myth of value. There are cultures constantly trying to pull us into this myth of value. And this is what basically it breaks down. The myth basically says that what I eat and what I wear and what I drive and where I live add to the value of who I am as a person or even define what my worth is as a person. We get this. I mean, let's be honest. When you pull up to a, a light and someone in a car pulls up, if it's a Lamborghini, you certainly have, cert- you have thoughts about a person, a, a person's value, a, a person's worth. And then if someone kind of comes up in, in a clunker, what are your thoughts? Are they the same? Are they different? What if it was the same person? Things that kind of give us value and things. And we even define it this way as we look at, um, they have these lists that come out every year. What's a person worth? What's their worth? They're worth X amount of dollars. And we put like a dollar amount to someone's value. We see that, the myth of value. There's the myth of consumption. And this myth, our culture tells us this, and we're kind of sucked into this all the time. This story says that, that I, by nature, am empty, and I need to be filled. There's some truth to that. I need to be filled, but what the culture tells us is we need things to fill us. That's why every single commercial, it, it, it basically tells, tells the same story. Your life is a wreck, and if you don't get this product, you're not yourself if you don't have a Snickers bar. If you don't have this product, then, then you are not who you're supposed to be. You, you need to take control, and you need to have this. And so people are selling us not just the stuff. I mean, someone said a long time ago that they decided that detergent, detergent is all the same. It just comes in different bottles, brighter and better and wider. and It's all the same, okay? But you're selling something else, okay? That's why when you buy a, a, an apple, you're not just buying a computer. You're buying just a whole new you. You're a new person. I, sorry, George. Uh, Microsoft uh, employee. You're, you're buying like a, a life. When you buy a certain cups of coffee, oh, they tell you something about who you are, right? I'm carrying the cup around, the frappuccino or whatever. They, they tell about us. There's a story I heard once about a preacher by the name of Fred Craddock. And Fred Craddock uh, tells a story where his, his dad is rescuing greyhound dogs from the track. These dogs that run around and, and they, they do it for sport, for money. You've, seen, you've maybe seen it on TV or been to one before. 
And, and Fred goes to his dad's house, and he sees these dogs, and they're, they're one of the dogs is playing with these kids, and he's, he's playing with the kids and having a good time. And, and, and in an odd conversation, Fred turns to the greyhound and says, what, what are you doing here? Uh, did you stop losing your ability to win races? And the, and the greyhound turns to him, obviously not a true story, and says, no, I, I can win. I still can win. I'm very fast, actually. Well, Fred says, well, did... Did you lose the ability to win money for your owner? And the dog says, absolutely not. I, I was winning lots of money for my, my owner. Well, why are you not racing anymore, dog? Why aren't you out on the track anymore? And the dog says this. One day, I learned that that rabbit that I was chasing wasn't real. It wasn't real. Mm. The myth of Value, the myth of consumption. Then there's this myth of scarcity. The myth of scarcity is this. There is not enough stuff in this world. Brueggemann, if you know who that is, made this, this, this argument famous. There's not enough food in the world. There's not enough things in the world. So what I have to do is I have to take all that I can and mine. There's not enough for all of us. And so I have to consume, consume. And that's not the way of, of, of the Lord. We know that. We know it from the desert, when the people were in the desert. And what did God do? He provided for them every day. He provided for everyone with manna from heaven. There's this myth that there's not enough. And I, I have to, I have to, to, to take care of, of me because there's not enough. There's this myth of control. And this myth basically says this, that, you know, superpowers from Pharaoh to, to, to throughout our history have, have built and have convinced people that they're, they're eternally secure, that we seek this security. We want security so badly. That's one of our, our great desires, and that we can accomplish security if we have enough walls, if we have enough guns, if we have enough various things, that we can be secure. But Pharaoh, back, think back in the Bible, Pharaoh, even though he had all the power and the might, guess what? He wasn't secure. Why God came along and he said with plagues and with other things, listen, you're not the one that's in charge. You are not the one that, that dictates this conversation. And as much as we try to be secure, the truth is, is we're not. We can build up barns. We can build up for the future, as the word would tell us. But our life is but a vapor. It's but a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. Now, as I've thought about this thing that's kind of pulling in, it's in, I, this is one that's really tough for me because I, I think wrapped along with this myth of security, this desire for security, is this desire for comfort as well. Man, I want to be comfortable. I, I do. Confess to you, I, I want comfort. I want to sit in my chair and I want to have the remote control and I want to control, control, control. But that's not the way things work. I want to control my kids. I wish I could control my kids, especially this weekend. But I want to control them in the future and, and do the right things and go the right directions. I, I, there's times I, I've thought in the last several months, as I look around our world and, and just the, the hurt and the brokenness and the images and the, the things that we're, we see just everywhere and just feeling like that we just live in, just in a world that is just corrupt and there's so much evil all around. That there's times I just want to get away. I just want to move somewhere where there's no other people. I just want to go and just be and, and, and teach and live and love God and just 
man, the Amish people, they might have something going on there, you know? I've thought that before because I have this, this desire and, and for security. And I recognize they're constantly pulling at me, this desire for comfort and security and, and for this consumption and, and all of these things that are pulling our, us different directions. And we know that they're not, all, they're not good, and, and yet we're, they're still pulling at us. But you know what? The, the early church wasn't like that. The early church didn't, it seems like they didn't have those things swirling and pulling them around. They were so different. If you think back to, to Jesus, right before he, he left this earth, he told the disciples this. Here's your mission, to go and make disciples. And it's right before he left in the book of Acts, is what we've kind of looked at in the last couple of weeks. The book of Acts, he's, he's hanging out with his disciples. He's about to go up to heaven. And the, one, the last thing he tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1 is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses into the world. You're going to be my ambassadors in the world. This is our mission as a church, as a people, to go into the world and to be witnesses of who this Jesus is. And that's what the disciples did. A couple of, of days later, the Holy Spirit comes down. This 120 people, they just go out and begin to, to share a message, a unified message of this. Very simple. Jesus lived. He was the Messiah. He was God's son. He died, and he was resurrected. And because he was resurrected, you can have new life. Put your faith and trust in him. Turn from your ways and turn toward God, and he can change your life. That was their message. It was simple. In fact, after the Holy Spirit came down, that's what Peter preached. He said, listen, turn to God. Turn to him. Repent and be baptized. And suddenly, what happened? The church blew up 3,000 after that first sermon, going from about 120 plus to about 3,000 in a day's time. That's what happened in the church. And amazing things were happening. God was moving in huge ways amongst the people. And they were adding to the church daily. They were adding to the church daily. It was an it was awesome time. We're going to look at one of the first things they prayed. We have actually one of their first prayers. that It was recorded by Luke in the book of Acts in a second. But as I think about that time period, and I was, I was kind of processing that week, I was thinking about what they were praying and what they were thinking. I thought, what are some of the things that I pray for? What were they praying for? What, what, what do I pray? What do you pray for? What do you pray for? Do you, do you pray? Do you talk to God? Do you, do you converse with God? What are the things that you ask for? Now, I'll, I'll tell you some things that can I, can I, ha- I kind of have one of those moments so they're not with my kids as I'm praying with them. And uh, we, we spend time every day. We pray for food. We pray for you know, the end of the day. You ever feel like you get into a rut? with your prayers, and they they look a little bit the same. God, bless us, give us more stuff, take care of us. There's a couple sick people on that list, and I, for some reason, ingrained in my mind, I've got, uh, every time I pray a prayer, uh, Lord, thank you for this day, jumps in there. There's a couple of cliche phrases that we kind of get into ruts, into our, our prayers, let me ask you this. If God answered every single one of your prayers from last year, what would happen? What would have happened? Hmm? 
I, I kind of think, I know, we'd have bigger houses. Our, our boss would not be there anymore. He'd be uh, in Australia or somewhere. Uh, we would uh, have different cars. Uh, we would all be married, uh, and all of the people we're married to would be perfect spouses. Uh, we, if we were a teenager, I can't put words in the teenager's mouth, but I know what I prayed for when I, teen- when I was a teenager, that my face would clear up, uh, that I would make A's on every test that I didn't study for, and uh, that they didn't have this commercial, but I wish they did. Back in the day, I, I would just like the Axe commercials, and girls would flock. Uh, now, as a, a teenage Girl, I don't know what you guys pray for. I'm sure it involves something with Channing Tatum asking you to prom or why does my hair do this on days like this, God? But you know what? I think a lot of our prayers, to get down to it, all those prayers, just like all of those myths, they focus on me. They focus on me and my life and the people connected to me, my family. They're all, they're all about me. They're sucking us kind of in. Do you ever feel that way? It was different in that first church. It was, their first prayer wasn't like that. Peter, he, he, he goes out. Remember this Peter guy? I mean, there was Peter and John at the beginning of the church. I mean, these were the two honchos of the church. These were the guys that everyone knew, like vice president, president, as they were starting this, this new church, this ecclesia is what that word means. It's a movement. It's not a building, it's a movement of God. And there was a movement happening. And Peter and John are at the middle of that. One day they're going to, to the temple. And they begin to, 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 to head to the temple when they see this, this beggar who had been actually born lame. He's born lame. And there he is. And he asks for, for something, some, something to, some money. But Peter, what does he do? He turns to him and says, I don't, I don't have any money for you, but I have something far better. And he picks up his hand, and he picks him up. And the guy begins to walk. He couldn't walk, and now he could walk. He healed this guy. And suddenly what happens? A crowd of people gather all around. And what does the word tell us? It says this. He saw his opportunity. He saw his opportunity and began to tell this message about Jesus. He began to tell the same message he, he, he preached a couple of days ago. Jesus is for you. He he, he's not against you. Repent, be baptized. He came, he lived, he was the Messiah, and he was resurrected. Follow him. And even more people came to know Jesus. At that point, we're talking about 5,000, just counting the guys. I don't know why they just counted guys back then, but they did. Just guys, women and children were there too. And this movement was growing and growing. Well, what happened? This Sanhedrin, this Sanhedrin, this court, this council, if you remember just a few weeks before, Jesus, was, he, he died. He was arrested. He was tried. Who was he arrested and tried by? The Sanhedrin. So here's Peter, the same Peter that denied Jesus right when he was about to go to trial. He goes in front of the Sanhedrin. They, they arrest him. They pull him in front. They, they pull uh, John and Peter, and they, they say this. And we're in Acts chapter 4. It says, they brought in the two disciples, and they demanded, what power? Or in whose name have you done this? Check this out. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man, do you know, do you want to know who, how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name 
of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in Scripture when it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Get this. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Let there be no doubt it's all about Jesus. It's because of Jesus and this name that you can be saved. The members of the council, they were amazed. And they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in Scripture. They also recognized these men who had been with Jesus. Man, what a cool thing for people to say about you. Man, that guy's been with Jesus. She's been with Jesus this week. She's been with Jesus today. But since they could see the man who had been healed, standing right there among them. Here was the guy that just got healed. He was lame, and now he can walk again. He's standing there with them. You can't deny that. They could not deny what had happened. We can, we can deny and, and get into arguments, but you cannot deny, you cannot refute a transformed life. We can disagree, but you cannot deny a transformed life. And so what happens? The Sanhedrin's response, he tells them, listen, guys, stop talking about Jesus. Stop it. Don't do it. We're going to beat you. We'll do all these things. We'll threaten you and we'll, all of this stuff. Stop doing this. Stop. You, you know, you realize that we live in a very, very PC culture right now. We get that. There's certain things that you just don't talk about with people, okay? Politics, religion. If you say the name of Jesus and it's not in a, in a cuss word, suddenly people, their ears perk up. That, sta- that name still has power. It still has power today. And there are times and there's, there's this temptation in us that says, you know what? Let's avoid talking about Jesus. Let's just, let's just avoid it. Let's talk about other stuff. Let's talk about, man, I hope the Texans get a quarterback. Good grief. Uh, we need a quarterback that's, you know, not like 26 in the league. If we just had a quarterback, let's talk about sports. Let's talk about weather. Let's talk about other stuff. Let's not talk about Jesus. Because that just makes people feel uncomfortable. Or, or when we do talk about Jesus, we, we take certain issues and we jump on certain issues and, and certain things. And we focus on those things. Can I tell you something? You know, billboards and bullhorns and Facebook posts, I, I think take some, some boldness, but I don't think it's the kind of boldness that the disciples had. And I don't think it's very effective. You know what we need boldness in? Relationships. I was talking to my friend, uh, Scotty, and uh, just talking about, and as, as we are, he, Scotty is down in uh, the heights, and he is in the middle of a, a post-church kind of environment where people don't go to church. And the way that he communicates and he talks to people about Jesus is not through the issues of the day, but in relationships, inviting people into his life and say, let me show you what Jesus looks like. Let me give you a picture of what Jesus looks like along the way. This movement was pointing toward Jesus along the way. And this movement the whole time was all about others. It's all about 
outward focus along the way. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the church exists for nothing but to draw men into Christ. God became man for, not, for no other purpose than that. But something happened. Something happens with churches. Something happened with the church. It was very outward focused, and then it switched slowly through time. And it, churches are guilty of this, and I hope that we're not guilty of this, that we become inward focused instead of outward focused in the world. There's various this, ways that we can do that. And you maybe have a bad church story where, like Mel and I, we went to this church once where the church had been transformed from a golf course to a church. The, the, the clubhouse was now a church. And when we walked in, it kind of felt like a clubhouse. No one spoke to us. No one talked to us. We kind of looked like we had the, I, I was looking to see if I had like the spots on my arms or something. Like that we had the plague. I don't know if you've had an experience like that before. No one, no one talked to us. We found our seats. We had to find where to get coffee. I had coffee in my hand. I, I, I take one step in the sanctuary. It was like an alarm went off. And everyone's, alert, alert, coffee in the sanctuary, coffee in the sanctuary. A friend of mine, uh, I was reminded of a story this morning. And she said she visited a church once. And the pastor, as, as after service, where she had to go and find the pastor to talk to the pastor, in the conversation, he said, you know what, you'd probably be happier at another church. <laughs> insider focus. It's real easy. Why is it easy for churches to be insider focused? Because we're sucked into this insider focused mentality in our lives. And these myths that are... are are consuming us, they play in the conversation in this building as well. But I pray and I hope that we're not a church like that. I hope that we are a church that is focused on others, on other people, and, and God's movement in this world through us. So what did they pray? Let's get back to that prayer. Awesome thing happened. God, man was healed. Peter spoke boldly, had a redemptive moment, has been the, the, the church is moving and sweeping and great things are happening. And they were released. Peter and John are released. And they go back to the, the group. And it's probably, my guess is that upper room experience, that 120 are back. The core group of, of people are back in one room together. And they are, are meeting. And, and, and what, what happened there? What do you think they prayed for after this experience? I, I can tell you what I think we would pray for. I think we would immediately pray. Well, first of all, this is what we would do. Peter, John, you are two guys. We've got to separate you, okay? In case something happens, you know, we've got to hire some, I don't know if they had Escalades back there. We've got to find some black es Escalades, and we've got to get those guys in suits with the wires that are hanging out. We've got to get some protection. We've got to get some security. We've got to get some, uh, some guys that are going to just take care, you know, and we've got to just kind of cut down this Jesus talk. Because that's what gets you in trouble. When you talk about Jesus, that's when things get weird. Okay, so let's kind of bring the Jesus talk down. Let's, let's, let's bring this turn to Jesus stuff down, okay? Is that what they prayed for? Let's check it out. What, what did they pray for? O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? So first of all, what they say is, they're saying is this. They're praying a prayer of basically recognizing who Jesus is. You are the creator. 
You are sovereign Lord. You are the maker of heaven and earth and everything in them. And then they go on to talk about, it's basically they're talking about this prophecy that's going to talk about what happened to the Messiah and what happened to Jesus. To the ancestor David, your servant, saying, where were the nations so, they, they, are they so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. And in fact, this happened right here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus. This is what happened. You sent Jesus to the cross, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined before and according to your will. And now, hear their threats and give us your servants. What did they ask for? Did they ask for protection? Put a hedge of protection around us. Watch over us. No, they prayed for boldness and preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of Jesus. Give us boldness. Give us boldness. Don't let us cower in fear, but give us boldness in love. Help us to, to preach and to teach and live this life out in this world. As I've been reading this and I'm thinking about that this week, can I be honest? I love comfort. I love security. I love talking about things that don't make me feel awkward, that don't make me feel so uncomfortable. And even though that I have pastor in front of my name, man, do I, did I show the world? Am I speaking the world to the world with boldness? Am I telling the world about Jesus with boldness? I heard a statement this week. Do I make every effort, every effort to connect people with Jesus, people that don't know Jesus? And one of the things that came back to me during that prayer time, I don't know enough people that don't know Jesus. I mean, I know you guys, okay? But do I have enough circles where people are around me that don't know Jesus yet? Give me boldness to speak love around me and to find places where people don't know Jesus yet that are right near me, my neighbors. They're people that live beside me, that I know their names and I high and by them all the time, but I'm not really connected with. I don't really know them that well. Melanie had a great idea, and it's one of those that immediately made me cringe, but I know that God wants us to do it, to have a barbecue in our neighborhood, to invite people into our lives, not just to our table, but into our, our, our lives. Where does God want you to be bold? Where does God want you to be bold? Are you willing to pray that prayer and say, God, wherever you want me to speak, Maybe that's to invite somebody to church. Maybe that's to get past the conversations of just that make you feel, you know, comfortable and get to real conversations. Maybe that's being bold in your relationships with others and loving people more because that's where people see Jesus when we serve and we become the hands and feet of Jesus. That's when they'll hear him speaking clearly through us. God, give us boldness. Help us to be the church that is outsider-focused. Worship band is coming up. And I, I just want us to pray this this morning. With, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, how can you speak with love and boldness in this world? How, how can you not deny Jesus, but stand up for him in love? How can you take 
the next step in relationships? How can you create space where you speak and talk into the lives of people that don't know Jesus yet? What are some ways that God is calling you to be bold for him, to be courageous? God, Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. God, we acknowledge who you are today. You are sovereign, you are creator, and you are Lord. God, Lord, you've heard my prayers this week. God, I fully acknowledge you, Lord, that that there's some some patterns and some, some ruts that I find myself in, Lord. God, ways even that I pray that are so me centered. Jesus, forgive me. God, I pray you forgive us, Lord. God, I pray that our lives wouldn't be centered around us. God, that we we're not a part of you're not a part of our story. We're a part of your story. And God, I pray that you would give us opportunities, Lord. Give us opportunities at school, at home, with our family, man, with friends, with people we don't know yet. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to those opportunities, that we would see them, Lord. Help us to see them and and step into them, to have courage and boldness, Lord, to to not be antagonists, but be representatives of love in this world. God, to speak hope and and truth and, and peace into people's lives, Lord, to help others. Lord, I pray that we would pray, Lord, bold prayers. Lord, maybe model that with our kids. God, may we live lives that are, are not seeking security or comfort. But God, I pray that we would be good stewards with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. God, I pray that, that in the moments of our life, God, every moment that we have, Lord, I, would, I just pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see you at work and what you're doing. God, we know that you're doing a lot of things. But Lord, I've thought this week, so many times I think I have my head down and I'm looking at my own life that I don't even see you at work, Jesus. God, help me to see. Help me to see hurt and brokenness and how I can can be your hands and how I can speak your love into, into people. God, I pray that we would speak, Lord, with your boldness in every situation, every opportunity that we have, God. Lord, may we be the church you've called us to be, to be the ecclesia, the movements of, of God in this world. God, we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.